Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 26 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen. I'm the director of Seven Positive and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with the Honourable Leanne Enoch, Minister for Innovation, Science and the Digital Economy and Minister for Small Business. Ms Enoch won the seat of Algester in Brisbane South in the 2015 state election. And in doing so, Miss Enoch, who's a proud Kwandamooka woman from North Stradbroke Island, became the first Aboriginal woman elected to Queensland Parliament. Miss Enoch is passionate about community development and social justice issues, and as a mother to two sons, knows how important it is for communities to be digitally connected with opportunities to thrive in the jobs of the future. Prior to entering politics, Miss Enoch worked with the Australian Red Cross, guiding humanitarian policy and programs to improve the lives of Australia's most vulnerable. She also spent more than a decade as a high school teacher throughout southeast Queensland and East London. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss a range of initiatives and opportunities that the Queensland Government is investing in to drive forward innovation in the state and attract entrepreneurial talent. We'll gain an understanding of the role the government believes social innovation can play in bringing equity to all Australians. And we'll talk about the Minister's broad experience in working with humanitarian policy and programs to improve the lives of Australia's most vulnerable. Minister, thanks very much for joining us. You're so welcome. Pleasure to have you on Impact Boom today. So could you please share a little bit about your background mm. and the journey that you took in entering into politics? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I get that question quite a lot. Um, yeah, the, really, the thrust of the question is normally, uh, why did you decide to get into politics? And then the journey for all of that um, kind of unfolds. But mm. I've, kind of, I've had a life where I've really focused on service to others. So, you know, I became a high school teacher after I left school and went to university. Yeah. Uh, I had an opportunity to go and teach in East London where I kind of saw things very differently. Mm. And I think anybody who's been away from their country uh, for a little bit of time, I was away for four years. When I came back, I saw things in a very different light. And I thought, no, I think I need to be involved in mm. some other things, which drove me into policy yeah. and program development. Mm. Uh, and then into community development. Uh, and so I had an opportunity then to work in um, various levels of government and then in uh, Red Cross, of yeah. course, where again that focus on service to other to others, mm. uh, and then coming into politics was really more uh, more of the same. As mm. in, where this is another opportunity to serve others, uh, in, a, in a completely different at a completely different level and in a completely different way. Yeah. 
But that's the approach that I've taken the whole time. It's mm-hmm. all about how I serve the people I represent, whether that be in my electorate, uh, in my broader community, yeah. uh, or in the state. Yeah, very interesting. So could you please explain some of these initiatives and the work that Queensland Government's doing to harness innovation mm-hmm. and strengthen and diversify the economy? Yeah, I guess it's probably a conversation to have about why we're even doing this. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's talking about innovation. We're hearing that word everywhere. And, you know, for some people it's a bit of a, oh, I'm sick of hearing that word. Mm. But, of course, there's nothing new about innovation. As human beings, we've been innovating since the dawn of time. Because, really, all innovation is is turning your ideas into action. Mm. That's all it is. But what is new about innovation is our need right now to have a laser-sharp focus on innovation in everything that we do. Mm. And that's because we're in this technological boom. The kind of pace we're seeing around technology, the pace we're seeing around change to the economy globally Mm. is outstripping anything that we could have imagined 10 years ago. And in fact, uh, it's fair to say that in the next 10 years, we are likely to experience the equivalent of a hundred years of change. Mm. That's how fast it's going to happen. And so for governments right across the world, there is this attention to a sense of innovation Mm. to ensure that the economies in each of these countries are able to compete in this new world that we're all building together in Mm -hmm. some way or another. So for Queensland, we've been absolutely driven to ensure that we can compete on a global level and that Uh, My two sons and the kids that we're currently training in our schools, um, that they have the jobs uh, available to them so that they can continue this incredible lifestyle that Mm. we have in this state. So this is where Advanced Queensland was born. We've got this great legacy in this state in terms of the smart state. So everyone, you know, remembers the smart state. Um, But what many don't realise is that in that time, we saw a $4.9 billion investment in research infrastructure. Mm -hmm. There was a sense that there'd be a juncture on the horizon and that we needed to be prepared for it. So we had this great research. What we haven't been so good at, and I think, you know, I'm sure this has happened in your podcast, this conversation about uh, the commercialisation of these great ideas, Mm -hmm. the turning those ideas into action, um, that's the part that we have to do more work on. Mm. So Advanced Queensland is really focused in that space. Uh, It is now a $405 million whole of government initiative, uh, which has an incredible array of programs Mm. designed to uh, look at commercial opportunities in lots of different ways. Not just in the, here's the idea, let's get some seed funding, get it through the valley of death and, you know, get it out there as a as a new industry or a commercial yeah. opportunity to create yeah. jobs. But also, how do you create the uh, the right culture, the right environment, uh, the energy, the movement in our state so that we are all embracing this as we move forward? That's what really Advanced Queensland is all about. Mm, very interesting. So prior to government, you spent seven years with the Australian Red Cross. Mm. So what particular local issues or problems do you believe that we as a society then can start applying this innovation to and how can we tackle these problems in a really innovative way? Yeah, so I guess this is the thing about social challenges. They're a little bit different from you know, policy challenges or even some economic challenges. Social challenges are hairy and difficult and they're 
that interconnected with each other and you know they're like a sometimes they're like a big plate of spaghetti and mm. you, can, you, know, you can't pull one out or Absolutely. fix one thing and then that's going to fix everything else yeah and this is where the culture of innovation and entrepreneurship really comes to to the fore in this, where the strength of that actually has some application. Uh, because when you see lots of people coming together to be able to address issues, some very complex, what you get is this terrific creativity and different ways of looking at it. Uh, and so there are some very challenging interconnected social issues around some of our fundamental human needs, like housing, for yep. instance. Yep. So we're seeing that play out at a uh, in an economic space. Mm. It's not as simple as just build more homes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. much more complicated than that. And so, uh, you know, social enterprise in particular has some roles to play in that. Mm. In Queensland, we're really lucky. Uh, this sort of culture that we've been building over the last few years has seen some really... Uh, interesting players in this space. So you think about Orange Sky Laundry, for instance, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, Nick and Luke, yep. who, of course, uh, became the Young Australians of the Year last year, uh, they saw a particular social need mm -hmm. and they took an innovative approach to that. And what they've got is something that's not just impacting those people who have found themselves uh, in situations of homelessness or in housing stress, mm. but also in times of disaster. So yeah. we saw them on the road straight away when um, Cyclone Debbie hit, for yeah. instance, uh, where people's homes were damaged or where power was down or the idea of being able to uh, wash your clothes and feel uh, and put clean clothes on, you know, oh. that, I mean, that's the kind of social enterprise that has long sort of tentacles in, a, in the mm. impact that it can have. And through Advanced Queensland, we're supporting um, some of the social enterprise that's coming through, through programs like Ignite Ideas, which is all about supporting those, uh, those ideas that are just about ready to be commercialised. Yeah. And whether they have a social impact or if they're purely economic with job outcomes, uh, they are all in the mix. Mm. Because no matter whether it's a social impact or a direct economic impact, uh, that is a benefit to our state. Yep. So housing, obviously, um, one that's uh, everybody's tackling at mm. the moment. Uh, in Queensland, there's also we've been working really hard around this epidemic of ice. For it, you know, that's a massive social issue, and we're trying to find some new innovative ways to be able mm. to tackle that. But it takes more than just one person. You can't have just the government agency working on this. Yeah. We've got to have creative minds yeah. and an openness to do things a little bit differently mm. and tackle these very, very complex issues. Yeah. And then, of course, that impact on um, child safety, on families being able to grow and harmonise yeah. and be healthy into the future... Uh, that is a real struggle, I think, mm. for many of us in our communities. The community structures are changing and families, um, in some instances, are struggling inside of that. Yeah. You know, it used to be, uh, when I was a kid growing up in Woodridge, uh, if a family down the road was struggling, we all knew about it and you'd help each other out. Mm. And you were kind of, we all knew each other because you went to school together and, you you know, people were very localised. Yeah, strong sense of community. Exactly. 
it's a different community structure that we're existing in today and it means that we've got to find new ways to connect and support each other and it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen already but we've We've got to make some adjustments now, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it's clear that the Indigenous population as well are facing a number of challenges throughout Australia. So as a proud Kwandamooka woman from North Stradbroke Island, could you please share what you believe is one of the most pressing issues for the Indigenous Australians and provide some insight as to how we can look at trying to resolve this? Mm. Well, again, you know, if I could say there was one pressing issue that we could fix... Uh, that would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah that would oh, be great to be able to identify array. one thing. But, yeah, but it's so, there are so many interconnected issues that don't impact every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person, of course. Mm. But what we see in terms of our connection to land in particular, that is one that will remain mm. a focus for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in their communities. Yeah. You know, in terms of land rights, in terms of native title, in terms of sovereignty, in terms of a treaty, uh, you know, these are things that uh, remain a constant focus for Indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are there are other aspects, and we can't look at Indigenous communities as one homogenous group, of course. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are very different groups of people, yep. and inside of that, uh, so for Aboriginal people, we will come from different countries in this continent, in this, you know, uh, big area of land. Uh, I'm Kwandamooka, uh, but right now where we're sitting in Brisbane, this is Yagara country yeah. where we are at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, there are different languages, different art, different dance, mm. different ways of preparing food, different diets, just as you would see in Europe when you go from Germany to France. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same here. So that means that there are quite often um, different issues for different locations. Mm. And each each community would say, perhaps they would say that you know, the one thing that they need to be focused on could be very different to, say, the beautiful um, town of Wujul Wujul uh, in, far, in the far north, which I'm a ministerial champion for. You know, some of the big big challenges that the mayor is looking at and that we're working on have been around digital infrastructure. Mm. If you're going to be able to create your own jobs uh, because that's what has to happen, uh, you have to create your own economy. If you don't have digital infrastructure, then that is almost impossible. Mm. Uh, So, you know, we've had huge hopes for NBN. I think all of us have, Australians, Queenslanders, uh, and it has been a massive disappointment. For me, I am now in a space of we've got to find some other ways to be able to connect ourselves globally mm. with fast, reliable internet. Yeah. And so for Indigenous communities, that is going to be even more important as the economies change and as, uh, as they become more and more digitised. Mm. If we are not able to fix this issue, we will see large groups of people who are already marginalised further marginalised yep. as a result. So for me, that's where I'm focused at the moment. I Mm. think digital infrastructure is one of our pressing issues in Indigenous communities and, of course, all communities across our state. But I know that uh, the issues around sovereignty, around treaty, around land rights are also things that uh, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, want to have meaningful conversations with government about. Mm. Well, it would be good to see us working on these these issues as we move forward. Mm. 
We've seen this increase in social enterprise, and you spoke a little bit before about Orange Sky Laundry. Mm. And it seems like there's this growing understanding and, and consumer support for this purpose-driven business. So could you please share some of the big developments in the social enterprise sector in Australia and where you think this is heading into the future? Well, there is a big movement around mm. social enterprise. There are some remarkable, particularly young people that I've come across who are very focused on how do they how do they make a difference in the world? Yep. Not just how do I make money yep. out of an enterprise, but how do I actually make a difference? And what uh, many of these young people in particular, I'm not just saying just young people because yep. there's many others, yep. but the ones that I've come across, they're seeing the world and some of the challenges through a completely different lens, through a lens of, uh, I guess, not being jaded by the various attempts to fix things in the past. Mm. They're saying, this can, this is fixable and I'm going to find a solution. Yeah. And then they just drive themselves into that space. And I think what we'll see more and more as as a you know a fully developed country, one we have to say that in Australia we are very lucky. We are very fortunate. We have a great lifestyle. Uh, you know we're not seeing the same economic challenges as other countries. Although there are some areas where people are doing it tougher than others, mm. and I think people then start to turn to how do I be part of making a difference? Well, how, how's my existence going to make? Uh, any difference in the world what mark do I leave on the world Mm. and it's a much more humanitarian social kind of uh, filter that we're seeing and it's just fascinating when I worked for Red Cross what we saw was so many people uh, wanting to be volunteers for Red Cross because there is something in helping somebody else something that uh, at a very human level that when you connect with somebody else and you're part mm. of their story of healing or yep. part of their story of growth, that you get that healing and growth as well. And it's an incredible feeling. And that's why social enterprise is really starting to bubble up. Mm. I think there'll be big changes in the way that governments uh, fund in this space in the next five to ten years. Yep. I think community organisations... Uh, will need to be supported to be more in that social enterprise sort of arena and there'll be a different relationship between governments and those that serve our communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be a while yet, but this is what's bubbling up and it's going to bring some disruption to some of our community organisations. It'll bring some disruption to what the citizens of this state expect of their government expenditure in this space. So, you know, it's a pretty exciting time, I think. Mm. But what we'll see from it is more and more people wanting to connect to others, um, to feel that healing and growth, to be part of humanitarian kind of agendas. Mm. Uh, and they'll want an economy that actually serves more than just the bottom line. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's certainly been a recurring theme throughout the interviews that I've been doing. Mm. So from a policy perspective social enter- mm. and looking at social enterprise mm. we've seen the Victorian government recently taking some pretty strong steps in mm. this area mm. so what do you believe needs to be done by the Queensland government mm. or the federal government mm. to help foster and support this innovative and sustainable sector yeah so you're right the Victorian government has sort of started to go down a path uh, which is I think everybody's watching to see what happens there uh, in the Queensland government Uh, myself and Minister Shannon Fentiman, uh, so my department and the Department of Communities, 
uh, have been already working fairly closely on what that looks like. Mm. And we, we're testing a few things in this space because particularly in the human service sort of part of government service, there's a sense that, yeah, we can sort of look at this a bit differently. So you look at the Department of Housing, for instance, and they've had uh, this really great um, initiative around, you know, dignity in housing. And they put out, uh, instead of just saying, oh, here's the the issue, here's the uh, program that we've dreamed up and we're going to tender for the program, et cetera, et cetera, they actually put out the challenge and they had uh, small businesses and startups come with some ideas about how to meet that challenge mm. and they've had they've created a different relationship around yeah. what that looks like. And as we're testing these things, we're seeing the same thing in terms of um, uh, the work that we do with seniors as well. Yeah. This sort of setting the challenge around a key thing and then having uh, startups and small businesses respond to that. Uh, So we're testing these things as we start to firm up what it is that we would be doing in the social enterprise space, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a very healthy way to look at it because it is, you know, it is going to be a bit of a, it's going to be different. So, you know, you've got to take some time to to test, see where there might be some strengths, see Mm -hmm. where we might need to make him, you know, some different views again about that uh, and then start to forge um, the way forward. Yeah. Excellent. So internationally speaking then, which countries do you believe are really leading the charge when it comes to social innovation? Mm. And what can we learn from them in Australia mm. or as other nations around the world? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, as I'm looking at what's going on in, across the world, yep. where you've got the greatest challenges is where social enterprise is uh, having some impact. And often it is... Uh, people who are in developed countries who are then being able to take that uh, that approach, so a startup approach, if you like, or an entrepreneurial innovation approach uh, to the challenges of other countries, and they're able to create some social enterprise around that. So when you uh, when you look at some of the startups in Australia, there's the water, the thank you water. For instance, so the young man in, I can't remember his name, sorry, but the young man in Australia who started the Thank You Water was really about ensuring that they could dig wells, um, create wells in other countries for people to have clean drinking water. And so, you know, that's, it's being able to use this market to support uh, the issues of other countries. So Mm. I don't think there's like one country in particular, but what we're seeing is where the major challenges are is where we're seeing some really interesting social enterprise happening. Mm. Um, and we're able to, you know, being able to use uh, the markets of other countries to support that. Yeah. So it's very fascinating. Yeah, great. Mm. Before, Minister, you spoke about your sons and the future of your, your mm. sons. And you've spent more than a decade as a high school teacher working as you said before, in East London mm. and around Southeast Queensland. So what are some of these key challenges that you believe young Australians are facing and what can we do to help prepare them for, for the 21st century mm. challenges? Mm. Well, of course, um, I think your listeners will know we're living in a time of rapid change. Uh, the kinds of jobs that my sons uh, will be inheriting or creating in the future uh, will be very different to what I was inheriting um, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, I've got a 16-year-old. He's in year 12, so this is his final year of school. And I I think when I was in my final year of school, 
1985, I was in year 12. Do the maths if you wish. But, <laughs> you know, year, year 12 in 1985 is a, was a very different world to year 12 in 2017. And the kinds of skills that we needed uh, are very different to what um, the 2017 graduates are going to need. Uh, so that's why for schools, you know, we've really got to focus on the kinds of skills they're going to need, this pipeline of workers also that we're going to need for the kinds of industries that we're creating mm. to ensure that we have got jobs here. Yeah. So that's why our advancing um, education strategy under our Advanced Queensland um, agenda has been focused on robotics, coding, uh, being able to analyse data because that's where the really, that's where the jobs are going to be yeah. uh, into the future. And so, uh, you know, we've got to think a little bit differently also about how we train our young people and teach them to be entrepreneurs, to take an entrepreneurial or um, computational thinking um, approach to the world that they will, that they, you know, will be leading. Mm. Um, they will be the people who will be creating the new industries um, in 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. And we need them to look at problems in very different ways to how we used to look at them. Uh, we need them to be able to be, yes, those those um, problem solvers, the, the thinkers, the creators. Uh, what we don't want is our kids just being the consumers of products. We want them to be the creators of all of that, mm. which means we've got to give them a whole different set of skills to what I had to get in 1985 yeah. before I left school. So, you know, for my sons... Um, I'm constantly on to them about STEM in particular, science, technology, engineering and maths. But, of course, I add, I call it e-STEAM, uh, entrepreneurship, science, technology, engineering, the arts and maths because you need the creativity, you need those um, core STEM skills, but you also need to have some entrepreneurial skills to understand that where you see the opportunity uh, to be able to turn things into not just potentially your own job or mm. your own business, uh, but also potentially to solve some major social and climate issues that that we're already looking at right now. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff we need our kids to understand and embrace um, and just know instinctively as they move into their adulthood and, and, and be part of this new global economy. Mm. Yeah, very, very interesting. So to finish off then, Minister, could you please recommend a few useful books or resources mm. to our listeners that you find inspiring or that you believe that they could take on and, and, mm. and use to help propel forward some of their ideas? Um, so there are multiple, and I'm very lucky in my position. Um, lots of people give me great books as well. So. <laughs> but I've been reading a lot about uh, social enterprise in particular, um, I haven't got the list of the books in my head, sorry, but I think any book that looks at entrepreneurship, social enterprise, and of course startups. There's a there's a whole series of books. Of course, Lean is the is yeah. the one that uh, everybody needs to read. Lean, yeah. they do. They need to read that one because that gives you some of the fundamentals to be able to understand you know, how you're going to be able to create these new opportunities into mm. the future. Uh, but I think also. I'm a, I like to read uh, people's stories because, to me, our greatest strength as individuals and collectively is our stories. Mm. Uh, it's in the stories that you see how people have made decisions, how they've looked at the world, um, and it challenges your own perceptions of the world. And that's what we want. We want more challenging 
thoughts about mm. how the world is ex- exists now yep. and how we want it to exist in the future. So I would encourage people to look at people's stories, share your story, uh, but also look at other people's stories, whether that be through, um, you know, like the Nelson Mandela autobiography and the... I like to read a lot of autobiographies. I think it's in those stories that we see great learnings of how individuals and groups of people have seen the world and how we then can take that that view and challenge our own view of the world. So look for great leaders or interesting neighbours or teachers that you've had or people who've had some interesting perspectives on life because it's in that, in the strength of their stories, that I think we'll see some really interesting ways of how we um, create our own story mm. into the future. Great, some very interesting insights. Minister, you've been very, very generous with your time today, so thanks so much for sharing your opinions, your thoughts and your insights. We very much appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.